Hi, I'm Christos Gage, writer of Superior Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man, and Spider Island, and you're listening to The Amazing Spider Talk. Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle I'll be in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon They'll bend your ears with reckless self-abandon The Amazing Spider-Talk The Amazing Spider-Talk Come swing through the air, sit back and prepare for the Amazing Spider-Talk Hello and welcome to The Amazing Spider Talk. My name is Dan Gavazdan and I'm the founder and editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And I'm Mark Chinacchio, the founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and an editor at Superior Spider Talk. Well, thanks everybody for joining us for the 28th episode of our coverage of Volume 4 of Amazing Spider-Man. I don't think really either of us thought we would get to 28 before a relaunch. Did you? Not I, Dan. I I I am pleasant. Uh, well, pleasantly surprised. I'll stay with my original thought. Yeah. All right. <laughs> that, all right. That, that we're allowing these numbers to get so high. It just seems so unmarvel like. <laughs> yeah. Well. Uh, anyway, we hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Yeah, Dan, and for this episode, we will be discussing Amazing Spider-Man, Volume 4, Number 28, by Dan Slott and Stuart Immonen. Then we will reveal the list of our Essentials winners. Uh, we'll discuss some Spider news and, uh, you know, just have a great episode. And, and Dan, before we, we transition, I just want to say that I'm thrilled that for the, for the first time I get to speak to Mr. Dan Gavazdan. <laughs> oh, wait, no, that, oh. Damn, I messed it all up. <laughs> Dan, Dan got married, like and that's hence hence the hiatus. And congratulations to Dan, and it was a beautiful ceremony, uh, and it's just a great weekend overall. Um, but um, yeah, I didn't want to do the Mister Sandifor joke to you because I figured that would tick you off too. <laughs> no, no, no. Thank you, Mark. It was a great time, and sorry for the delay, everybody. But. Uh, yeah, Mark was in the wedding, and he did a wonderful job. Uh, it was just so great, so many wonderful faces to see, and Mark and his family. And, you know, both of our wives have been uh, uh, a kind of small presence on the show. So it, it was kind of a nice little reunion between all of us. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, my son just adores Dan and didn't understand why – Dan didn't want to play with him more during Dan's own wedding because that's <laughs> that's how my son is. <laughs> Trust me, if if uh, if social conventions didn't hold that I go along with the wedding, your son and I would still be playing uh, tic tac toe. Okay, excellent. Well, speaking of X's and O's, why don't we talk about what happened on the game board in Amazing Spider-Man number twenty-eight? What? Mark, we've been loving this Osborne identity story, getting better, I think, every issue. And uh, one of the things we've always been very critical of Dan Slott about is that, you know, it seems every other story, he's either nailing the ending or maybe even more often than not kind of dropping the ball at the end. And uh, I think last episode we were kind of holding our breaths over whether or not he would nail that ending and the book has been out for a couple of weeks now. So I think everybody kind of has solidly formed their own opinion. But did you think that Dan Slott stuck the landing here? Uh, yeah, I did, Dan. I, I was actually really impressed with, I mean, as you mentioned, this arc, I felt progressively got better from start to finish and it ended for me on a high note. I, 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 I felt that, the this last chapter here, which dealt a lot with 
um, Spider-Man and Norman Osborn and the relationship there. And it's it's such a great relationship. It's one of the most intriguing and dynamic in all comics. Um, it, it, you know, both both kind of nostalgically look to the past while also kind of treading some or not treading, but but creating some new ground. Um, there's obviously, you know, the, the story felt nice and resolved, but at the same token, there's clearly seeds being planted for future stories involving these characters. And, um, I mean, it, it, it to me, it was effectively executed. It, it, this whole story was, it, it, it stayed simple and focused the entire time. And, and, and I don't know if that means I'm lowering the bar or not, but like that to me is the sign of a really good story that that focus can be maintained. I mean, what did you think? I feel the same way, and I, I, I've read some criticism about people wanting more of these stories to be wrapped up or come to some kind of a conclusion, like the Mockingbird uh, story. I feel like you know we, we started a relationship, and it's never it's not really paid off here. But I don't really mind that in in this story. I don't think every story has to kind of conclude every arc, and I felt like the story. You know, specifically here with the Goblin, did come to a very like character centric revolution uh, resolution, and that really worked for me. and uh, And I appreciate that Dan Slott knew not to bite off more than this kind of final issue could could you know handle. and uh, And I thought what was contained here was really effective. Yeah, I mean, you know, I feel like. Over the last few years, we've gotten these big, bombastic arcs and storylines from Dan Slott that that kind of promised to change everything to forever. And Osborne identity as a whole was was approached in a, in a much less um, promotional Aggressive. way. Aggressive, thank you. Uh, way, and I feel like ultimately that was to the story's benefit i i don't know if it better gauged people's like my own expectations about what i wanted or not but i i i just feel like you know the, the ending to me really reminded me a lot of probably my favorite of dan slot's big epics which was spider island and that and i've heard some complaints about this about you know in regards to spider island on this fact as well that yeah there were some Big, big stuff going on that kind of got resolved um, either off panel or with characters other than Spider-Man. But the core of the story um, to me was 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 properly and appropriately focused on Spider-Man and his relationship with with certain characters and kind of like the big other conflict was not that it wasn't um, consequential, but like you know, Spider-Man wasn't there because he really wasn't, he didn't need to be there. He needed to be resolving his own story and his own issues. And I feel in both Spider-Man and in this. And, um, because of that, that the focus never left that element of Spider-Man and Peter's character. And, and, and that's why like some of these other, like the criticism I've heard, like I, I, I look at it, I go, yeah, that's technically true, but it doesn't bother me. You know, like I, I, I wanted, a complete spider Spider-Man story, not necessarily a complete story in the pages of Amazing Spider-Man, and and I feel this comes closest to that. But at the same time, I I felt like this story kind of you know uh, hit the hammer or hit the nail on the head. <laughs> I'm not hitting a hammer with a nail. Uh, yeah, try. I I might, might be very ineffective, but uh, I to me this was the story that best. Landed what seems to me a theme of the volume four, uh, you know, run that we've had so far, which is that like Spider Man is kind of learning how to be a team member, whether that is ticking off parts of the team while appealing to others. Um, I felt like this was kind of what the ending of Spider Verse was going for. This like Spider Man is a leader who is effectively you know, kind of giving people different roles to play in an ongoing conflict. And that, we discussed that, you know, ad nauseum did not work for us. But um, here, the reason he's able to beat Norman in the end is that he's on the right side of the fight and he has good friends. Um, and it's a victory that's different, I think, than most Spider-Man books. But, um, 
you know, he really spells it out here that like not only does he never stop trying, you know, he also wins because he's on the right side of history and he has amazing friends. Um, and it's the first time that that beat worked for me. Um, and, and I really appreciated it while also getting, I think a very solid Spider-Man moment for a victory for himself. Um, how did you feel about how the friends are kind of handled in this story? I feel that it was – it just all felt appropriate and not heavy-handed. I, I, w- I had some fears initially specifically in this issue because the way it starts off is you know, Silver Sable is kind of calling the shots and being very aggressive in, in dealing with um, the conflict in Simcaria to the point where like – Spider-Man even kind of cracks a joke, like a self-effacing joke, like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm being put in the corner kind of a thing. And I'm like – and I'm thinking to myself, here we go again. This is like Sp- Spider-Verse all over again where it's like Peter saying, I'm a leader, but it's really like Silk and and Captain Britain Spidey and all these other characters like calling the shots and acting like leaders and, and, and doing stuff and – and Spider-Man's just goofing around and then, like, making out with Silk by Candlelight. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> never uh, let it go. Never let it go. Um, and But, like, then I feel like they kind of just let the amazing friends deal with the, the other part of the – the other half of the mission so, so Spider-Man could deal with the more personal part of the mission for him. I mean, and, and, and again, like, I just keep going back to Spider-Island. I mean, like – Spider Island, it was through his amazing friends that they were able to defeat the Spider Queen. But the fact of the matter was, you know, the personal the personal crisis for for Peter for Spider Man in that story was, you know, kind of coping with this idea of all these people having his powers. What does that mean for him? And trying to resolve that. Um, so when it was just him and Mary Jane on the Empire State Building working the Octobots, working that part of it, I didn't, you know, like I just felt like, oh, and isn't it great that he's got Captain America and Venom and Anti Venom and and the Avengers and you know working on the Spider Queen, like what you know, it's it's kind of the same setup. He's got these amazing friends that are kind of fighting the the ground battle, but when it comes to the Spider Man, has always been a more intimate hero and i felt like the the intimate struggle was dealt with in a much more appropriate way there and the same here i mean you know like it wasn't silver sable lashing a killing blow on norman osborne that defeated him you know it was it was spider-man fighting him you know what i mean like it was you know a knockdown drag out fight between the two characters um i i would i will say i would have liked to have more consequence to Norman and Peter's fight. Like he's chasing after Norman to stop Norman from triggering that gas bomb that would turn everybody yeah. into goblins. But his defeat of Norman and Norman running away doesn't like he was already defeated at that point. Um, when Spider-Man beats the crap out of him, uh, right. it was satisfying to me. Um, but I think it could be even more so if, there was some sense that Spider-Man had to, you know, reverse the last, tr- you know, step. Like the bomb was caught, and Norman could still trigger it. You know, uh, if Spider-Man, but Spider-Man stopped him. You know, uh, but I, but I think this story is not done. I mean, the solicitations for September came out today, and after this auto story is concluded, we're gonna get right back into the Green Goblin again. So like. I feel like this story is only just taking a time out to check in with, you know, uh, Secret, Secret Empire. Empire. So yeah. I'm not that dissatisfied with it. I feel like there's only more to come in in the Spider-Man Green Goblin battle. Um, and I and I I'm excited about that, which I think is a r- real testament to this story that even though it's not necessarily concluded, I'm eager and ready for more. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think also for me, the reason why I, I found this story so effective was the fact that, um, you know, we've talked about this in, in the past. I don't, I'm, I'm sure we've talked about it on the show. I think we've talked about this 
in just personal conversations. The, the, the idea of, um, what in this new post one more day universe, Norman not knowing Spider-Man's secret identity anymore, how does that change the relationship? And I think to, until this story, it really had not been dealt with effectively, you know, like there seemed to be something missing, but I don't know. Maybe it was just the way the fight was framed via the art or just like the pacing of it. Um, you know, I liked the beat with, you know, Norman kind of being like, what have I ever done to you? And the, and the image of Gwen kind of coming up and then yeah. Peter just lashing out. Like it just felt for the first time, like, it didn't it didn't matter from a storyline perspective that one character doesn't know the others anymore. The, the the personal hatred and animosity is still very much alive and well, so to speak. Like it, it I, I felt I felt real heat between these two characters for the first time since before one more day. And um I you know, will that be maintained? I don't know, but I, I, I just feel like this arc really tapped into how these characters are tethered to each other and, and just, just the, the hatred, you know, like there is hatred there. And, and I feel like that wasn't like in, even in stories that I generally like, like new ways to die and, and, and American son and stuff like that, that really wasn't tapped the way it's tapped here. I really like on that note, I really like how it handled Norman's, side of this where Norman there's a great speech towards the end that Norman gives and I think this speaks to editorial as well that Norman says I was just minding my own business and you know on the other side of the world and you just came into my life and ruined it all for me so now it's personal um I thought that was a really kind of clever beat for the character and it speaks to the the wise decision from editorial to not pull a dead no more and tease this thing for, you know, six months or whatever, or a year even like we right. just got right into it. And that's reflected in the story. It's like acknowledging that Peter is really the impetus for this event even happening at all. He just charged headlong into it. And, and that results in like a plus minus thing. Like he was able to save this thing, but now Norman is more resolute than ever that, He's going to find a way to reintroduce the Goblin and and get back at Spider-Man. And I I thought that was really uh, uh, clever uh, writing from from Dan Slott here. Definitely. And and like you said, I mean, it's just just making characters and their motivations and their feelings very clear. There's no subterfuge going on. It's 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 very it's a simple and effective storytelling and and. You know, I, I, I feel foolish, like, emphasizing the simplicity of it all over and over again. I mean, these are modern stories and, you know, haven't we evolved as people to expect more out of comics? But, like, I, I kind of feel like, no, I just like having a, a, such a simple, straightforward story about characters and their relationships and how their actions affect one another. Like, that's at the core of what I want to see in a superhero comic, you know, like that's, that's what I read for. Um, and like any Spider-Man comic, you know, it's got the classic element of, you know, he gets a win, you know, uh, you know, he, he beats the goblin, but he also gets a negative and he loses shield, you know, as is one of his major clients, you know, as we, I don't know if we're going to see a, like a, if it's a slow decline for Parker industries or, uh, you know, one final thing is going to take it out from underneath it. But, you know, uh, this is the longest telegraph decline of an industry ever. Right. Right. Um, well, it's, 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 a, it's a long, it's a long telegraph, but the same token, I, I, I actually in its defense kind of prefer this to, I was when, when this whole Parker industries thing started two and a half years ago, I, I really was expecting, well, two years ago, less than uh, one and a half years ago, I really was expecting like we were just going to get to a point where because of something stupid or, or whatever, like the the whole house of cards would fall down and, you know, Peter was back to being poor and 
a joke and a loser and, and, you know, kind of seeing something more incremental to me is more realistic and, and makes more sense and allows for more stories to be told. Um, it's actually making the whole decision to go in this direction seem more smartly planned and not just a gimmick. Yeah. Um, so I'm fine with it. You know, it, yeah, it's, it's still being telegraphed. I mean, we, I think we said from the very beginning that this won't last, but you know, they, it's, it's kind of refreshing to see them sticking with it at the same time. Yeah. Um, you know, I want to get your feeling on this. I thought that the Norman battle was really awesome. Um, and you seem to say the same earlier, really well paced, imminent art is out of this world. And, yeah. uh, I mean, the, and the coloring too, in this book is just delicious. Yeah. Um, and that might be because I'm learning how to color right now. Uh, but, uh, so I'm like extra appreciative of it, uh, cause it's really <laughs> hard. Yeah. Um, and you'll probably hear me talking a lot more about coloring as the days go on. But, uh, and I, and I, just another note, I loved the kind of retconning of why the goblin doesn't reuse his gags, uh, even though I would love to see his ghost and frog uh, weapons return in a kind of <laughs> like weird way. But um, there's a moment, you know, you, you mentioned it earlier where he says, what have I ever done to you? And Gwen, the image of Gwen pops up and you see Peter's eyes like dilate or whatever or narrow. And he charges at him out the window of this castle. And we get a moment later where, you know, they're both powerless, where they're both landing in the snowbank. And Norman says, oh, you knew that there was snow here. And Peter says, like, tell yourself whatever you'd like. And to <laughs> me, that's like an admission that he was, like, ready to kill himself and the goblin just to end this thing. Like, it was a suicidal action to some degree. That Peter didn't know there was a snowbank. And I think this is something we've seen kind of before, whether it's suicidal or not. We've seen Peter take actions where he doesn't necessarily know in his anger whether or not, like, he ends up getting luckily saved that he doesn't kill someone by a turn of events. Do you find these moments to be in character, like, for Peter to kind of lash out without really any kind of safeguard? and end up not killing one through luck. Like he's essentially killing the guy. He just d ends up not because there's snow there. Well, I want to hear what you think about this. I mean, I can't speak for every single scenario, but I, I guess I didn't read the scene quite the same way you did. I mean, I, I think that Peter was undoubtedly being, um, impetuous to a degree and impulsive like not impetuous impulsive um but i also i mean you know remember he does have spider sense which i know kind of gets pulled in and out at convenient points of convenience but i i, well, I he, do he doesn't have spider sense here well that's right okay fair enough i don't know i still didn't view it as like him doing a suicide dive. I mean, I think like he said what he said to him after the fact is kind of like, yeah, think what you want to think. Um, you know, like I'm, I might be crazy enough to do it to you this time, but yeah. like, I just, I just didn't view it quite the same. I kind of figured that there was so, still something even in the anger strategic about it, but I mean, maybe I'm just searching for a no prize here. I don't know. But what, what, but what about in general? Like, because we've seen that kind of action before. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like we've, even going way, way back, we get these moments where, like, Peter kind of has to, in the moment, pull himself out of it and be like, oh, what am I doing? I'm going to kill this person or I'm going to do this. And, and, you know, we... We don't necessarily get those moments of reflection now to signify that he still has this code, I guess, that he lives by. But like at the same token, because we, you know, we have those other moments from way, way back where he's willing, you know, where he does have to kind of catch himself. I, I don't see it as being completely out of character. Maybe it's just not 
being framed the same way so that to kind of get that reassurance. But, you know, he still is a character that gets impulsive and hot headed. I mean, you know, this is at its core, the character, the guy who, you know, someday they'll look back at me and, you know, they'll, they'll no, no longer be laughing. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it's, it's still a part of who he is, you know? So it's this idea of he can lose his cool. He's not, he's not, you know, calm and graceful in the, in the face of pressure at all times. Yeah. Um, what did you think about, we've mentioned it briefly, but what did you think about the, uh, kind of, resolution of the B-level arcs. We love all the Spider-Man stuff, but then there was like the Silver Sable and the Mockingbird stuff. Yeah, I mean, this is... I have, I have more opinions about the Sable stuff. I mean, for me, that that whole fight sequence with, uh, was it the Countess or whatever? Yeah. I'm trying, was just very odd. And I don't know if it was a visual uh, problem or a script problem, but I just felt like there was something missing about what exactly was the resolution there because they're like, you know, sword fighting essentially. And then it's like, you know, the countess draws blood from Sable and then all of a sudden Sable's like, ah, but now I've defeated you. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. The, like, tab- the tables turn very off, yeah. off page. Yeah. Very off page. <laughs> Completely um, off page. Yeah, so I don't know if there was a panel missing or or uh, just the art wasn't clear. Um, but yeah, we needed more there because I did not kind. I I mean, I'm guessing that there was some kind of what protection spell that was cast on the countess, and by injuring her, she then by became like what exponentially weakened or whatever. But like. We didn't see Sable injure her, did we? I, I, I like. No, we didn't see Sable injure her. Uh, I mean, in, I read it as something even more like less magical than that. I read it as like a vanity thing, like the Countess. You know, she's only she's not interested in her people. She's only interested in the appearance of it, and by Sable nicking her appearance, she like counts her out for the count. I, I, I don't know because. Because she, her appearance is damaged. I, I, there's some character beats that w- would have led to this that I think are missing. Yeah. Well, whether it's vanity or, or magic, it, there's, it, we're, we're, missing, we're missing story here. This well, is no well way that you and I can't agree on it or, can't, or came to different things means we're kind of missing something. Yeah. Yeah. So, And then in terms of the Mockingbird stuff, I mean, you know... I mean, again, like I, I, I'm, I'm this way in that about how hard we're trying to move this character into the Spider-Man universe, and I wonder now with the Shield stuff kind of drifting away if she's still going to be a player. But um, you know, I guess we didn't get more of the Peter Bobby romance. But is that a bad thing? I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't mind it. I'm, I'm curious to see where it goes. I thought her kind of turn, standing up for Peter. You know, was validated in this issue, and uh, yeah. so I'm interested to see what the fallout of that is. You know, that her standing up for Peter, you know, maybe moves this relationship forward. And Secret Empire is a great time to kind of, I imagine, bring in more complications regarding Peter's relationship to Shield and and all of the kind of like Captain America world elements of this stuff. So uh, I suspect we'll see more of it down the line. Yeah. Maybe you less to... Nick Fury Jr., <laughs> which in my mind is only good for everybody because I still don't get that character. No, I don't think anybody does. Uh, do you want to talk about the last moments with Harry and Peter? Yeah. What What did you take from that? Because it seems – I mean I, we complained before that this plot seemed to just be repeating itself. And I guess the resolution here is that Peter kind of lets, him, lets Peter off – or Harry off the hook of having to constantly tell people that I'm Harry Lyman, you know, he kind of gives him a clean break from his father. Yeah. But I still, I, I, you know, especially since we know that Osborne is coming back in a few months, I, I, you know, there's still something, my spidey senses are tingling with Harry. And I just wonder if the, if, you know, the lady doth protest too much. (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, if I if you if you'll allow me to kind of like hypothesize, sure. Um, you know, I, Norman can't be affected by the goblin formula, or, or he seems to say in in this uh, ish in this issue. He's you know, he's everybody else we turn into a goblin, but him. Um, so whether it's worked its way through his system or the cure has a long lasting effect on him, and even in the preview that we've seen for the September issue, he's trying to regain his goblin persona. I wonder if that means. You know, if he can't be the goblin, he'll try to, as classic Norman Osborn does, affect it through his son. Uh, I could see that being a very real possibility that uh, Norman will try to reawaken some demons in, in old Harry Lyman over here. Poor Harry. I mean, I don't know anything, but if I were writing this, that would be a fun route to go. I just want to share very quickly, Dan. I was recording another uh, uh, another podcast with somebody, and we were talking about the um, the Harry Osborne on drug uh, issues from the from the early seventies. You know, the the no comic code ones. You were cheating and, on me, Mark. Is that what you're trying to say? Yes, exactly. Um, oh God, so needy. Um, and some one of the one of the people I was recording with, they weren't. They weren't major. They weren't big comic book fans because this is not a comic book podcast. It's a, I'll, I'll explain it in, the, in our. All right, episodes. I'll let it go then. I'll let it go. But um, he, um, <laughs> the person asked, "Am I the only one who noticed that Harry Osborn's got weird hair?" <laughs> we all just <laughs> like, no, you're not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I will say this is an odd note to strike. Okay. In my new father-in-law's youth, yeah, he has the Osborne hair. Oh my! So oh my. classic father-in-law, uh, super villain, super villainy. He's bald now, but he at one point had the Osborne haircut. I don't know how I should feel about that. Well, your father-in-law does strike me as a as a bit of a super villain, but in a, in a nice way. He's kind of like uh, you know, I don't know. I'm trying to think of the of the right analog here. Like uh I don't see him as an Osborne type. He did more. awkwardly like make a big speech announcement about being a Trump supporter in front of my the entire audience of our wedding. Yeah. Of 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 clearly like progressive type people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was awkward, but uh you know, whatever. I, I I'll give him some credit. Yeah. Anyway, on that note, <laughs> what's your grade, Dan? Uh, I'm giving this thing an A+. Plus. Uh, oh, my. Uh, you know, I don't know if it deserves it necessarily, but Stuart Eminent's art and, and the upward trajectory of this, I had a blast reading this issue. Uh, and you know what? I'm going to let my enthusiasm carry me over into this one. You're young and love. Uh, you know, just just you know, renewed not renewed your vows, made some vows. I can understand why you'd be dropping pluses. I'm just in a good mood. You know, I got back from my honeymoon ish, my mini moon. It's not our real honeymoon, and right. uh, the first thing I did was go and pick up this issue and had a great time with it. And I was like, you know, a plus. Let's go. This is the best week ever. I know. Uh, <laughs> um, well, I'm I you know I I loved it too. I'm giving it an A. Sans plus, just the A, but um, yeah, you didn't you get know. married this week. No, I didn't get married this week. Um, and you know, but that's like probably the first A I've given in a very long time. I mean, maybe since Superior Spider-Man days. Um, yeah, so. I think you're right. So there you go. All right, Dan. Well, speaking of A plus stories, I hear we have an essentials list to reveal. Mark, the votes came in hot and heavy. I was really pleased with how many people turned up to vote in our Essentials poll because, you know, it took a little while to think about. Um, 77 of you 
turned up. And if you're one of those people, uh, thank you again from the bottom of our cold, dead hearts uh, for turning up uh, the, and, and putting a nice capper onto this two years plus journey that Mark and I took. Um, and the results were great. And one of the things that was really heartwarming to me, Mark, was that every single story got at least five votes. Um, wow. So people liked everything we had to put out there. Um, and then that's nice. There's all Spider-Man's one of those things. Every story is someone's favorite story. Do we know what came in last place? Uh, I can tell you that you and I tied with our choices for last place. <laughs> Let me guess. Marvel 2 and 1? Uh-huh. Marvel 2 and 1? Yep, that was one of them. Okay. Was and was the other one the the Jenkins story that you picked? Yep, yep. The uh the <laughs> Here There Be Monsters. So Okay. Those were the two bottom listed stories. Those are the two I feel like when we when we were each on the other side doing the episodes, we were saying, thinking to ourselves, what the hell is our guy, our partner thinking in this choice? <laughs> <laughs> well, the listeners agreed, but at least five <laughs> listeners on each book thought that it was worthy of inclusion. So that means we must have made a decent argument. I wonder if our like poll counter just defaults to five instead of zero. <laughs> I, wa- I will say I watched them come in. You c- we we have the individual ballots, so I can see who you are. Okay, okay, very good. Well, anyway, why don't we get to the top ten? I I, I will kick. And I off didn't vote. I'll say I didn't vote. So so I, it's I, not I mine. Did, I did vote. Oh, oh. But I don't think I voted for Marvel 2 and 1. Okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe I did out of spite, but I don't think so. All right, all right. All right, Mark, so let's start with number 10 and work our way up. Uh, so what is in the number 10 spot? Yeah, number 10 is uh, it's one of my personal favorite stories, Dan, although I think this was one of your picks. It's um, from Ultimate Spider-Man Learning Curve, uh, also known as the Great Kingpin story where Spider-Man makes you-so-fat jokes. Um, so great pick for number 10. That had 27 votes. Awesome. Uh, next up at number 9 was one of our favorites, Mark. Obviously one of our favorites because we chose these. Uh, <laughs> I, say, I think all of these are one of our favorites, so yeah. we should stop leading in with that. <laughs> but I feel like we mention this one more often than not. Uh, it's Spider Island came in just above Learning Curve with 28 votes. Yeah, then at number eight, keeping with the theme of, of Dan Slott, um, Spidey Stories, uh, we have No One Dies. Uh, that got 31 votes. And, you know, that also had the added advantage of Zeke's guest commentary. So, um, you know, Zeke, who visited New York uh, and met me in the flesh a few weeks ago, Dan, I know you were jealous about that. I was very jealous about that. I have yet to meet Zeke in the flesh, as you yeah. as you put it. And, and Zeke showed up at my one of my book events, and I also bought him a burrito for his birthday. I would have bought him more than that, but he got a burrito. Uh, do we want to tell the Dan Slot story associated with that visit? Oh, sure. Um, well, you know, when when Zeke came to the um, to my book signing, I did like an informal book signing event for um, at a at a bar that a friend of mine owns in in the city. Uh, it was just for friends and family. Um, it wasn't like a formal publishing type thing. Um, but Zeke came by and he he had a book and then he wanted to get one more book because he was after meeting with me, he was going to a signing where Dan Slott was going to be. And then he's like, I'm going to bring this. I want to bring a book to Dan Slott. And I want him to sign his chapter in the book. And I'm like, OK, sure. And then, like later on, we both get like, well, we, we he texted both of us this, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Dan, Dan Slot like signed his page, and like he was chapter sixty five in the book. So like Dan Slot was both making two jokes. One of them was like, oh, we saw, you know, oh, I thought I'd be sixty nine, you know, ha ha. And then he's like, but I'm only sixty <laughs> five. <Like, laughs> um, so I I enjoyed that immensely, and thank you, Zeke, for getting the book in front of Dan Slot. Very cool story. All right, so next up on the list was one of your picks. Uh, number seven was Best of Enemies, which came in at 34 votes. Another really yeah. good story there. Yeah, another Spidey Harry Osborne story. Um, number six is yet another one of my picks, Dan. It's The Return of Venom, which is uh, you know ASM 315 to 317. That's the first post-ASM 300 arc with McFarlane and Venom. Um, great story. 
What's at number five? Number five is another one of your picks. Uh, it's the Spider-Man Blue story, which came in at 44 votes. And that was an awesome episode to think back on because we had my fiance at the time and your wife um, on. Were we engaged at the time? I think we were engaged at the time. You were absolutely engaged. Okay. No. No, you were no, not I was engaged. No, I was not engaged. That, that was the wedding episode that you were engaged for. So, That's true. Uh, Boy, we've been doing this a long time. Yeah, that was two Valentine's Days ago. Yes. But another cool episode. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then at number four, yet another Mark pick. Because you gave me all the good ones. Uh, yeah. With 45 votes is, nothing can stop the juggernaut. Awesome, awesome. And then above that, I think is a me pick. Uh, <laughs> clearly, we, 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 we put so much effort into this. Uh, uh, it's The Goblin Unmasked, number 46. Um, a, pretty, a pretty strong standing for The Goblin uh, on this list. Yeah, well, people people say he's number one, and I don't think we I don't think the we curated enough good Doc Ock stories. That's that's problematic. I kind of realized after the fact, but alas, people were not as hot on Superior as I thought they would be. Yeah, um, number two is your pick, and honestly, like I if if I, if I had my druthers, this would probably be our number one on our list. But it's the kid who collects Spider Man with fifty votes. That's a lot. That's a, that's a lot from you, someone who didn't even want to include it. I know. Well, we included it, and now I agree with it. <laughs> <laughs> that's all you get. That's your concession. All right, and number one on the list, which I think nobody can in their right mind can argue with, it's Spider-Man No More, which came in with fifty-six votes out of seventy-seven voters. I want to talk to the people who didn't include this on their list. Well, they're communists, Dan. What can I say? <laughs> it's a very, very, a very interesting assault to levy on these people. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's the 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 leaks are real, but the news is fake. Okay, Dan, that's all, all right. I got for you. <laughs> well, speaking of news, let's talk about the spider fake news. Give me pictures of the spider man. Yeah, Dad. So, um, <laughs> you know, this first bit of news here might actually be fake news. Yeah, this, yeah, this, this really might be the definition of fake news. So, we're we're getting some movies from Sony that are Spider-Man spinoff movies. We have Silver Sable, a Silver Sable Black Cat movie, finally, because. Everyone demanded that. <laughs> and then and then the long rumored movie, which I think is at least something that Sony has been kind of brandishing for a while, Venom, and, and that's gonna have Thomas Hardy in it as the lead. Which is an awesome casting choice. Yeah. Although, you know, we have differing opinions on <laughs> The uh, the Dark Knight movies, or, or at least the, him as Bane. Well, we have similar opinions on how good of an actor Tom Hardy is. I guess so. It's no, a, it, Hardy, it's a good Hardy's choice good. for Eddie Brock. I just hope he's not, Spider-Man, I'm going to order a milkshake. <laughs> and all the people here in the stadium are going to see Ah, uh, whatever. <laughs> I like how you threw in Daniel Day Lewis in there somehow. Ah, uh, well, it, newly retired Daniel Day Lewis. Yes, absolutely. But <laughs> uh, anyway, um, but what's most troublesome about these movies, besides their existence, <laughs> is we we're getting very conflicting stories about where these fit into the Sony Marvel Studios arrangement that was made a couple years ago that you know brought spider-man into the avengers universe and then of course is part of you know the both studios are co-producing homecoming that's coming out in a couple weeks um you know these these seem to be sony movies through and through but sony made some comment recently like no but they're part of the mcu and you know 
Kevin, is it Faye? I always say his name. Feige. Feige kind of gave a, a a look that was compared to Ben Affleck being interviewed about Batman versus Superman and hearing sounds of silence in the background. So, uh, <laughs> so um, yeah, Dan, I don't even know what to think about this stuff anymore. So, yeah, well, uh, Amy Pascal seems to think they're in the MCU and that Tom Holland could show up in them. And I'm sure Marvel's not super keen on that happening. And uh, I'll just say it again. I think this underlines my point I've been saying all along is that I think everybody celebrated way too soon about this Sony deal um, because they are going to milk this thing as much as they can. And in my mind, this is uh, like the first time you start to introduce brand confusion into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I think that's how you really start to weaken um, that brand. It wasn't yeah. worth it. Yeah. Well, that's that's a great point. And, and, you know, I think Marvel Studios, 10 times out of 10, want Spider-Man in their universe. But, you know... Unfortunately, it seems to be coming at a cost of dealing with a studio that doesn't have their stuff together as much as Marvel does. And, and are they going to get dragged down to Sony's level because of it? You know, like it's it's very strange. I mean, Dan, I, I think I've said this to you. I might have even said this on the show that, you know, my initial theory about this whole thing when when at least when Venom was announced was like I saw I saw this as some kind of like leverage move from sony because maybe like with homecoming being in the in the in the vault so to speak that you know maybe they were negotiating something for future movies and licensing and marvel is kind of playing hardball so sony's counter was fine if you're gonna if you're gonna play hardball with us then we're gonna continue with our own independent universe and once our deal expires and and after X number of movies, you know, Tom Holland or whoever we choose as Spider-Man will have something to come back to. Um, that still might be the case. But, you know, now that they're like throwing out these things about, oh, it's in the universe. No, it's not. In the, like this just seems this just seems like it's Sony being Sony. <laughs> yeah, it's so it's so bizarre. And like I agree with you. I thought it was just leverage, too. But now the castings and the director choices and screenwriters are coming out. I mean, who's to no- say where this goes? I think it's going to be just confusing as hell. <laughs> and, 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 let, and let me just say without, I mean, putting aside any politics or, you know, brand confusion or anything like that, I just think flat out, this is my hot take, these movies, like a Black Cat Silver Sable movie, well, Black Cat Silver Sable movie, I don't even get why they're making that movie. Like, these are not, to me, character. I, I guess... Black Cat to a lesser degree, but certainly not Silver Sable. I don't see this as a character you build a movie franchise around. But even with, but Venom, especially Venom, the I don't see how these movies work without Spider Man. Like I think they will just be if they do not include Spider Man in some capacity, I think they will be bad movies. Because then it's like you know why do they need to be Venom and Black Cat or Silver Sable? Why can't it just be you know black spider suit wearing guy? Well, I, I think I think that's that, what it is, you know. Like I think that's what Sony's saying is that Spider-Man will be in these movies, and tough luck, Marvel. I mean, I, I I mean I'm sure Marvel's definitely thought about this more than us two random dudes on the internet. But like, maybe Marvel didn't realize just how inept Sony was. Right. Uh, I, I don't know. We're gonna find out, and it's gonna be real weird. Real soon, because you know these things are on track to be produced. You know, uh, well, Dan, I hope you've invested in popcorn futures. <laughs> I mean, or lack of it. I don't know who's going to go see these things, but well, we'll right. see. Well, yeah, um, I guess in more so in more pleasant news for people who play video games still, <laughs> which is unfortunately is not me. Um, there was a new Spider-Man game announced at E3 that I mean, I even Dan, even I watched the video. This game looked freaking awesome. Yeah, we saw a little bit of it last year at E3, 
And this year it expanded. We got to see actual gameplay of this thing, and it's coming out still like a year from now. But uh, it looks, yeah, it looks awesome. It's like that dark. It's like those Batman games, Arkham Asylum games, yeah. given a Spider-Man coat of paint. But uh, I don't know. In my mind, it seems like they've kind of fixed or found a solution to all the things that have kind of dogged Spider-Man games in the past. Like we finally getting kind of like bullet time here which I think allows you to kind of deal with the speed of Spider-Man. Um, it looks like a hell of a lot of fun, Mark. Uh, I can't wait to pick it up. Yeah. I mean, I think the last true, true Spider-Man game I got on a, on a console was Ultimate Spider-Man on PS2 back in the day. That's a fun game. It is a fun game, but it, 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 was still, it still didn't completely scratch that ish for me. Yeah. One of the things I am I, – I, well, I'm, I'm refreshed by how, like, they're bringing in a lot of Dan Slot stuff um, mm-hmm. because I'm sure that Mr. Negative is, you know, not the A-level villain. And there's a lot of hints at, like, Mayor Osborne in, right. in this game. So, like, I'm really pleased that this is, like, an alt-universe thing that has nothing to do with any other Spider-Man property while also kind of shining a spotlight on some villains that are really cool that maybe haven't seen the light of day before in, in a video game. Um, but one of the things I'm, I'm concerned about is how often the, even just in this like nine minute trailer, we see it dipping into like cut scenes and quick time button press events. Um, I, I, I hope the whole game isn't like this where we're kind of, watching an interactive movie, albeit a really cool interactive movie. Um, what I like about the Ultimate Spider-Man game was how much you got to play with the web mechanics and physics. And uh, I hope that's true here as well. Well, Dan, unless my five-year-old can convince my wife to get a PS4, I will not be playing it. Well, you'll have to come over and, and play on mine. I'll just have to come over to LA. You have a PS4 too. I do, and I have a Switch. Yeah, it's it's bad. You have Xbox. I don't. I don't. All right, all right. I'm not into the first person shooters, and that system is a lot of first person shooters. Like even when I had, even when I was like an avid video gamer, I was never, I never had more than one console. I never did either, but Nintendo really let me down with Wii U, so I got into the PS3 and PS4, and now I'm kind of, you know. I can kind of afford to do both, so why not, I guess? I, I don't know. Oh, I'm sure Amy can give you reasons why not. Yeah. <laughs> no, actually, she treats them like movies. She, we were watching the Spider-Man trailer, and she said, you're not allowed to play this game without me there because I want to watch this as a movie. And I was all like, right. all right, it's fair. You know, with the video games have gotten to that point now that they can kind of be enjoyed that way. All right, hold on to that. Hold on to that woman, Dan. <laughs> and we play a lot of Mario Kart together now, so uh, that's been a lot of fun. Mario Kart is 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 a relationship builder. I will give you that. Yeah, but, absolutely. You know, uh, all right. So uh, last note. Um, looks like we got a little extended trailer uh, for the animation for Marvel's new Spider-Man animated series. Uh, it looks pretty pretty nifty and looks like they're obviously kind of leaning on the tom holland stuff pretty heavily here right yeah it's like a younger character he's not even in his full costume yet um i like the new costume design i don't love the new animation style but i thought uh and i've not watched spectacular spider-man but i thought that the character was very animated and the way he like flipped around and used his webs to zip through the subway and stuff and the kind of new york jokes with the metro card I thought this was a kind of cool animated style and grounded version of the character that I've not seen on TV before. And it's probably because I'm really out of it. But uh, you're a fan of Spectacular Spider-Man. Do you think the animation is comparable to that? I think so. Yeah. I mean, the animation looked pretty looked pretty good. I mean, there were some things that looked a little awkward. But, I mean, you know, if if I'm flipping through the channels, I'll see. Is this Disney XD? Is that yeah, the channel? Yeah, yeah. I don't think I get that anymore. We downgraded our cable package, and I, like there are random cable channels that I just mysteriously don't get anymore. Well, I guess neither of us are going to be watching it, but you know, it looks pretty cool. Yeah. It looks cool, Dan. And speaking of cool, let's have a cool goodbye. 
All right, I like that. So, of course, you can find all of our new Amazing Spider Talk and old Superior Spider Talk podcasts over at our fabulous website, superiorspidertalk.com. But you can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube by searching for Amazing Spider Talk like you do. That's the show you're listening to. And as always, we uh, we, impe- we uh, implore you to uh, leave us a review because it's how we help spread word about the show and get ourselves up in those rankings, which are also important to us. Additionally, be sure to check out our brother podcast, The Ultimate Spin. If you want to keep up with the adventures of Miles Morales and Spider-Gwen Stacy, Dan, I guess maybe now's a good time to kind of drop a little bit of our own little navel-gazing news on the masses. Um, this is what you're listening to right now is going to be the last episode of Amazing Spider Talk in this format. We're going to be uh, changing things up. In a couple of weeks. Is that a fair assessment, Dan? Yep, I think it is. I think in about a week's time, maybe a little longer, you'll have a more – we'll drop an episode with a more clear picture of what we've got planned. But expect some really radical changes to the show. Um, we'll talk a little bit then, I guess, about why we're changing up the show so radically. But I guess in brief, we put it now, is that we're 164 episodes into – this format that we've been going on for quite a while and not that we're burned out from it, but Mark and I kind of want to, I guess, get away from Marvel's publishing schedule and kind of take the podcast under our own hands. Like, uh, yeah. yeah. And I think there are just certain, I mean, Dan, you and I are both very passionate, knowledgeable Spider-Man fan. I, I, I hope we're knowledgeable Spider-Man fans. If not uh, us, who? Right, I know, and 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 yet there are certain things that, for reasons, even with our like essential episodes, that we just have never really talked about or addressed or kind of lent our friendly banter to. And I think this new format will allow us to do that in a in a very clear, concise, um, you know, easy to follow way. Um, you know, taking taking our listeners on a new kind of journey with us as as we kind of both. Re- relive and then maybe make new discoveries about about Spider-Man through you know through the years, um, and I, I I'm I'm excited for it. I I I feel like it's going to rejuvenate us a little bit, Dan. Not that we need rejuvenating; we're always on point and great. But you know, like, <laughs> and and you know, there will be ways for people to get you know our thoughts on new issues and stuff like that don't think that we're totally abandoning stuff like that we'll give you more details but the fact of the matter is i think that you know like you said dan after so many episodes and years of doing this a certain way it's time for a change and and you know comic book companies love love a good relaunch and a reboot (laughs) so uh you know why are we any different (laughs) well i mean i think i think it's safe to say like we've learned a ton doing all these episodes about who we are, how we podcast, and what we want to talk about. And uh, I think this is a reflection of that. And it's really just us doubling down on our mission statement. Like, you are going to get the you know past, present, and future of Spider-Man in a more, like, I don't know, not aggressive, but like in a... In an even better way, and I I I think this show is going to offer that. So we can't wait to tell you more about what it is we're going to be doing. Uh, we hope you're excited about it. You tell your friends about it, and uh, it's a great place to jump on the show if you're a new listener. So um, I don't know. Uh, Spider Man is homecoming this summer, and so are we. And I, I think there's no better time to be a fan of our podcast. Absolutely. Well, Dan, for. The final time in this format, where can we find you elsewhere on the internet? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at, at SupSpiderTalk, and uh, you can read all of the writing that we're doing over at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. That's about really it for me. The wedding has kind of knocked the sails out for me. <laughs> I, I am going to be rejuvenating for a little while. But uh, how about you, Mark? Where can we find you on the internet? Well, I'm a little busier than you, but don't take offense to that. Uh, you know, of course... <laughs> Of course, that has always book. been true. Yes. <laughs> there's the book, 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die, available 
now at triumphbooks.com and wherever major books are sold. Dan, uh, they're getting some good feedback on the book. I even had a book signing, like a formal book signing um, a couple weeks ago. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. And again, thank you again for that great interview with me, um, allowing me to be a guest on your show uh, a few <laughs> weeks ago. That was, uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, what the listeners time. don't know is that I send Mark a formal invitation every week. Inviting yes. him back. Exactly. I, I'm one of those recurring guests. Um, <laughs> of course, of course, you can also find me on Twitter at ChasingASMblog. You can find writings on ChasingAmazingBlog.com and SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And um, depending on when you listen and download to this, uh, launching around July 3rd, I will be appearing on a the podcast, a very special episode. This is a podcast that looks at quote-unquote, very special uh, editions of TV shows and movies. And in this ish- instance, a comic book. We're going to be talking about the, the, the Don't Do Drugs, Harry Osborne issues of, of Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, but this is a fun time. These are three uh, – well, the, the usual show is actually four people, but there was only three of them, and then I was the fourth guesting on this one. But these are the people that did the Save by the Bell reviewed podcast um, – that one of the one of the podcasters is the one who ran the Fuller House blog, um, so you you can kind of see where their sweet spot is. It's really bad TV from the eighties and nineties. <laughs> and what's the name of this podcast again? Because it's kind of confusing. It's called a very special episode. Great. A V S E. So um, you know, look for that um, on um, and uh, wherever podcasts can be found, and I, I think you'll you'll enjoy it. Um, Through. Three of the four of us on the show are actually super nerdy comic book fans. So, um, and the fourth was just having a good time with it. Um, so, um, I think you'll enjoy it. It's funny, and um, yeah, it's it's just check it out. That's all I can say. Um, and then that's that's it. I think. Um, you well, know. well, Mark, you know, you're on this book tour, and you've been kind of you know popping up everywhere. Uh, you know, I saw you on the Ed Sullivan show. Doing, yeah. you know, talking about your book and doing some kind of parlor tricks, and uh, <laughs> you know, I uh, I saw you. You even got on WWE. You were in the wrestling ring uh, mm. with a guy named Bonesaw. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I mean, you've been all over the place promoting this book. Um, now that it's kind of over, were, were there any like big story takeaways for you of uh, things things you learned while you're on, on your tour? Oh, Dan, you know, writing the book has been an incredible experience and I learned a lot about Spider-Man. But, you know, there was one lesson that trumped all the others. And, and unfortunately, kind of it kind of hit me deep, Dan. It was hit me most personal way possible. Um, you know, after doing one of my um, my guest appearances on the, the Jimmy Fallon show. Um, you know, I let Jimmy Fallon like tussle my hair and stuff like that. So I was a little aggravated that he did that. But I went backstage and, um, you know, like, like all of a sudden, like I, I hear a cop saying, stop, stop that man, stop that man. I'm like, what? And I, I see like this, um, guy in a, in a Hamburglar costume go running by. And I'm like, oh, it must be one of those like Times Square you know, dress up guys, whatever. I, you know, I'm not, and, and the cop said, you could have just, you know, you could have just thrown a book at him. What's wrong with you? You, you know, you, you, you don't do anything. And I go, Hey, Hey pal, that's your job. Not mine. I look out for number one. In fact, number one in my book is amazing fantasy 15 introducing Spider-Man. You look at that. And he's like, maybe you should read that chapter to yourself and then think about that. And I'm like, ah, oh, screw this guy. And you know, I went home after the the movie that night. At the movie after the um, the the show that night. And Dan, you're not going to believe this, but there's like police tape up at my house, and like I see my 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 aunt May outside, and she's just crying hysterically. And I was just like, Aunt May, what's going on? And she's like, I'm sorry. And then this cop kind of busted, and he's like, I'm sorry, son. Um, some guy in a hamburger costume. Was looking for silverfish, and uh, he, uh, he 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 killed your uncle Ben. <laughs> and I was like, my uncle, what? Like the same uncle Ben that's been eaten by monkeys? And yeah, yeah, he got he got killed by the Hamburglar looking for silverfish. You know, because we we had to retcon that into the story now. 
And I, 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 you know, at that moment, Dan, you know, you would have thought that I would have gone over to my Uncle Ben to hear his dying words where he probably would have imparted some wisdom to me. Um, and But instead, I was like, I'm going to read the first chapter of my book. And I started reading the book and, you know, I kind of, it was this very familiar story about Peter and, you know, letting a burglar go by him after a studio. And it was very sad. And um, I just kind of got bored because I've read this book a million times while proofing it. So I just jumped ahead and I went to the chapter that talked about Amazing Spider Talk because we appear in a book because I got to write it. And then I remember the ultimate lesson to be gleaned from everything with great podcasts must also come. Amazing Spider Talk. 